0: How many of you have been to developing countries or areas in the world? Few of you have. I remember the first, I think it was the first time that my eldest son, Matt, went to Mexico. We were living in Atlanta. He was a student at Greater Atlanta Christian School. And every year at spring break, they take a group of kids there to work with the City of Children that we support and work with today from this church. But I remember Him coming home, and I recall him sitting in his room and looking at all of the things in his room. And a conversation that he shared with me, I think he shared with me and Lynn together, but I know I remember it. He's like, Dad, I'm not sure I need all of these things. Now this is a kid that's in like the ninth or 10th grade. He said, I don't know that I need all these things. And the reason he'd come to that decision or that question in his mind was because he had been at the City of Children and he had visited with kids from Cradle Roll through high school who lived at the City of Children. And before he came back to the United States, he was given the opportunity to to go through the dormitories where they lived. Those are basically off limits except for a few minutes just before group leaves and they'll allow the kids to go through and visit the students where they live. And on their bed, and one little dresser next to their bed is virtually everything that those children own. And my son came home and he said, I don't know that I need all of these things anymore. I've been to Mexico over... 125 times in the last 12 years. And every time I go down there and I see the folks and how they live and I come home and I'm like, "Hmm. I'm not sure I need all of these things." I've been to El Salvador to work with the churches there. When I went to visit the churches in El Salvador, I came home and I'm like, "Hmm. I'm not sure I need all of these things." And I've been to Detroit, Michigan, I grew up in Pontiac, and I remember as a kid going to different places around there, my dad used to preach in Rome, Michigan, and I remember seeing people in different lifestyles, and I look back on that and I wonder, hmm, do I need all these things? We are an amazingly blessed people. And the church said, amen. From the most provided to the least provided among us, we are very blessed people. The thing I want to challenge us with and think about with you this morning is, what do we really need? And I'm not so much talking about the physical thing. Because all of us have different perceived needs of what we need. We do. We all have different expectations of how we're going to live our lives. Hardly anyone in here except me and my wife really want to live on a boat. Let's just be honest. Nobody's crazy enough to do that but us right now. Not many of us in the room would want to live in an RV. You know what I'm saying, like full-time living in an RV? I kind of get excited about that. And I've asked Glenn, do you want to do that? She's like, no. She's like, I need roots. I like roots. Potatoes, is kind of a root. Carrots somewhat of a root. But it's not the things that I want to talk about this morning about what we need. I really want us to look at setting our lives apart and being uniquely different from the world that's around us. Because if we can get a little bit of an understanding of what this thing called consecration is all about, then regardless, and in spite of what we have in the world of the physical accumulation of things, whether it's the actual dollars and cents, or the real estate, or the clothing, or the automobiles, or whatever it is that may be in your life, apart from all of that, if we can see a little bit more clearly about what it means to have God in us in all things and separate ourselves out from the world, then the things that we do have, the physical things that we do have, become less important to us because we realize truly who they actually belong to. Does that make sense? There's this little word called consecration. I, re, I rewrote the word here because I'm from Alabama and I can do that. But there's a typo here, kind of on purpose because I actually typed it. But if you look at that word, it says consecration. I re, rewrote the word, it's a new word. It's not in the dictionary yet, but I think it will be after I finish this sermon. Because when, it, when we really think about this concept of consecration, when we're really separating and purifying ourselves, We, in essence, are recreating ourselves, and we are a new creation. And the conversation I want to have with you this morning is about the fact that we need to be recreated, and we need to be a new creation. But that only begins, and it can only happen when we invite God in, and we let Him have His way with us. We sing the song sometimes, it's an old song, about Him having His way with us. Separation and purification are important to us when it comes to consecration. Many of us have in our possession this morning what we call a smartphone. This is an iPhone something. I don't know what level or what number it is. I don't remember. It was given to me by my company. I have no idea what it is. It works most of the time. And I know that there's more technology in this than went to the moon, which scares me for those men who went to the moon. But contained in this little device is silicon there's sand in here did you know that there's sand right here did you know did you know on the face of my phone is a pile of sand because it's glass and somehow some way we figured out a long time ago how to melt that stuff how to heat it up and melt it and make it into something that it is is beyond what it is And this process of separating and purifying things is what creates this whole world of computer chips. Silicon Valley, you ever heard of that? I'm going there Tuesday. Not to work with anyone in IT, mind you. But I'll be in that neck of the woods. By the way, do you realize that a two-bedroom apartment up there costs nearly $4,000 a month? Amen. Amen? Amen? I don't want to live there, but I like visiting because I have to. This little thing called crude oil, changing it into stuff that we use in cars. Lynn and I, every time that we drive to the boat, we pass this little oil field that's right there off of the road, off of Henry Ford Road over in, in Long Beach, and, and every time that we go by there, there's there are several oil wells, and many of them are doing this. They're going up and down, and up and down, and up and down, and they're pumping this black, slimy, gooey stuff out of the ground that we take, and we heat it up, and we add some things to it, and we, and we change them molecular structure of it just a little bit and we create this stuff called gasoline and all other kinds of petroleum products. As a matter of fact probably some of you are wearing something right now that came from crude oil that came out of the ground. Parts of your clothing if you have any polyester stuff on it's got that oil stuff in it. Did you know you're wearing that black stuff? It's slightly refined. Transformation, creation, comes when we're consecrated when we're purified when we're placed under a little bit of heat when we're set apart to become something different we get to experience this thing called consecration our lives our gifts and even our struggles can be consecrated when we invite God in and ask him to to make them useful for his purposes and that's really the most important thing making them useful for his purposes what is life all about It hasn't been that many weeks ago that we had a funeral here. And as we stood and honored those individuals, and we've had a few in the last couple of years here in this building, when we've been here and we've honored those individuals who have passed on, it causes us for just a moment to reflect upon what is life really all about? Because I promise you, those who recently have experienced the loss of a loved one, they're not terribly concerned about all of the things that were left behind. They're more concerned about the relationship with a loved one whom they've lost. And every time that I've had the privilege of presiding and speaking at a funeral, The thought that crosses my mind. And this may sound a little weird to you. And it's okay if it sounds weird to you. Because you'd know where I'm from. But every time I preside at a funeral. There's a part of me that looks at the person. Who's lying horizontal in the casket in front of me. And I'm like I would swap places with you dude. Because I know what I'm going through here. And I know what you get to experience now. You get to experience peace. And rest. And you get to. Lie in wait, anxiously awaiting that thing that you and I refer to as the resurrection. And you don't have to deal with all of this stuff anymore in this world that we have to deal with. You got it made. It's not my time yet. Haven't had my funeral yet. But every time I do a funeral, I think about that. I'm like, I would swap with you, man. There's a couple of things holding me here that really keep me here. One is her. She's right here on the fourth row. She's wearing a yellow blouse. She got a haircut yesterday. The other are my grandchildren, who I don't have yet. I don't even have a daughter-in-law yet. So I'm patiently waiting. I I feel somewhat like Simeon, who who stood in in the temple before he saw Jesus. And he's like, when Jesus showed up, he's like, okay, I can go now, Lord. That's kind of where I'm at with my grandkids. If I ever get one of those, I'm like, okay, Jesus, you can bring me home now. Only if it's a son, though. If it's a daughter, I've got to wait. I need a namesake. I'm telling you guys, consecration makes all things new. When we invite God in, when we let him be a part of our lives, and when we truly begin to set, set ourselves apart from the rest of the world, when we allow him to purify our hearts and our souls and our minds to become more and more like him, it changes the way that we look at everything. It's not a new concept consecration isn't new at all in the Old Testament they had the Ten Commandments and and they were very specific about some things one of them was the Sabbath day and they were to set aside their firstborn and they were to set aside 10% of, of tithes and offerings from the land and whether it's grain or from the soil or fruit from the trees it all belongs to the Lord the first fruits all belong to the Lord. But the only time and the only way that that ever really happens is when you and I understand this idea of consecration. When we allow God to take us and to purify us and to separate us and to set us apart from the world when we let Him have us all. It's only then that we begin to understand that the things, the stuff that He blesses us with, the first parts of all of those are His. And it's when we get this idea of consecration when Jesus comes in and He controls our hearts and minds and when God controls us all, it's then that we understand that when we write the check to the church and when we write the check to our charities, when we give all of these things away that God has blessed us with, it's then and only then do we really understand the power of giving. Because it does all belong to Him. Somewhere. I'm not really good at remembering this stuff. Somewhere in the Bible it says, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. There's a little town called Colinga, California. There's a ranch there. Any of you ever heard of Harris Ranch? After driving by there, I don't care to eat Harris Ranch beef anymore. And I'm not going to tell you what it looks like. I'll let you figure it out for yourself. Just drive up the five someday and you'll see it. But I'm telling you, man, that's quite a place. God owned it all. Mr. Harris started it, he thinks. But God owns all the cattle in Harris Ranch. Very simply, guys, consecration is inviting God and His holiness into our lives. And the challenge that we face is that secularization separates us from that. And the world that you and I live in has so compartmentalized our lives that we think that when we come to church, that's when we're worshiping God. When we give our money, that's when we're paying our tithe to God. When we write the check or when we make the online contribution. And I still feel weird every time you guys bring the basket by my row and I don't take the basket because I give online. I still feel weird about that because I'm not putting money in the basket. And I'm like, are they looking at the preacher? <laughs> the preacher's giving. He's just giving online. World Mission Sunday. I give online. I don't make the second ch- I'm just saying. Secularization is driven by our human desire to control it all. And that's what Satan wants you to do. The reason and the purpose for the fall, when you go back to the book of Genesis and you look at the conversation he had with Eve and that she had with Adam, it was so that they could control their lives. They could control when they die. They could control all of their things. That's the lie that's been perpetrated upon us all of this time. It's the spiritual war that we battle every day. This idea of living in in a world where God is in control, where God is over all, where He is in all and through all in us, or whether we live the way the world wants us to live. Capacity, we talked about this a little bit last week. God created a world where we should have everything that we would ever need. There isn't a lack. God didn't create a lack of anything. He created a perfect world. He created everything to have exactly what it should have. When you and I drive through the desert, we look at it and we say, wow, this is such an arid and dry place. Yeah, it is because that's the way God intended it to be. And we would drive through those lush gardens. I remember a few months ago I drove up to Lake Havasu. You know where that's at, right? on the Arizona-California line, and in the, the beautiful drive that I took from Interstate uh, 10 north up on the Arizona side, I drove right by the river, and it's absolutely gorgeous because it looks like it's an oasis in the desert because guess what? It is. It's beautiful. And then I get to the lake, and I'm like, they got ripped off. <laughs> These people got ripped off. There's not a piece of green grass. There's not even a tree around that lake. It's just a big Oversized pond in the middle of a hole in the wall in the desert. But downstream, beautiful, gorgeous. Guys, I'm telling you, God has created everything the way that it should be. Consecration is unlocking all of that. When you and I come into this relationship with God, when we invite Him in and we allow Him to work through us through all things, He opens the doors for us to do amazing things. Joshua said in chapter 3, verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Here's the question I would offer to you. Do you think God can do amazing things? Do you think God can do amazing things? Well, the sad part is we live our lives like we don't believe He can do anything. Because God isn't necessarily in the middle of much that we do. And I know that we believe that we're all Christians. We've been baptized, so we're Christians, and we we carry that title. But when you really look at how we live our lives, when you really look at how we act, when you really look at how much we depend upon God to do all of the things, I wonder sometimes if we really do think that God is capable of doing great things. And Joshua says, consecrate yourself. Because tomorrow God is going to do something great. And I invite you to consecrate yourself. I invite you to separate yourself from the world, to become purified in God so that He can do great things. And then expect Him to do it. We talked about this in the adult class this morning for a few minutes. Expect God to do those great things because He will. But if we don't have an expectation, He might not. Consecration isn't about giving 10% of your money to the church. It's not about tithing 10%. It's about giving everything. It's about changing your whole perspective so that you see and I see that God is in the middle of everything. And we are joining Him in the middle of everything. And when we begin to look at life differently, when we begin to see that God is truly in all things for us in all things, then it changes what we will do with the stuff that He's given us. And we will be much more inclined. And it will be a much more freeing experience for us to open up whatever it is that we need to open up and hand it to someone else or to give it to someone else. Ever had anybody ask you to borrow money? Personal friend, maybe a family member. Anyone ever ask to borrow some money from you? Well, if you ever ask me to borrow any money, I'll tell you what my answer is. I don't loan money. I I don't loan money. Now, if you need some money and you ask me for it, I will give it to you if it's within my power to do so. But I'm not giving it to you as a loan. It's not my business to be in the lending business. But it is in my business to be in the God business. And there are times when God allows people to come into my life that need something. And He blesses me with the opportunity to help them. But all of that only happens when God is in the middle of it all. Because if He's not in it, And if He's not in our lives and if we haven't purified ourselves and set ourselves apart to be holy in His sight then what happens is when somebody comes to us and says, hey brother, can you? We say, "Mm, no, I don't think so. And we may not say it that directly or that bluntly but we find some excuse not to help somebody. Trying to figure out when Jesus didn't Help somebody that asked him. Now they didn't all appreciate what he did for them. Remember those who were cleansed and only one came back? Nine went away? He healed them all. Only one really appreciated what happened and came back to say thank you. But he healed them. He said, it's not my place. I don't think it's your place to figure out if somebody's supposed to like it or not. It's just our place to help. It's about change of perspective. It's about offering everything God has given us and offering it back to Him. Because the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, you don't own anything. We don't own anything. You'll be lucky to have a full suit of clothes on when they bury you in a a casket. Because some folks will cut the back out of that suit jacket, gentlemen. I'm just telling you, it happens. We're aware of specific needs. Things that are simply part of faith. We should give. We should volunteer a time at the church. We should help with Comfort Cafe. We should go visit the sick. We're we're aware of those kind of things that that have been taught and kind of ingrained into our thinking that these are things that we should do and and we ought to do them. The reality is, I'm afraid, sometimes we do them because we're just trying to hedge our bets against what God might do to us if we don't do it rather than doing it for what He's really called us to do. So there's this verse of Scripture in Romans. I told you last week I don't get real excited about the Apostle Paul sometimes because he uses words that are all-encompassing and these broad brushstroke things, and, and it's hard to apply it sometimes, but it's important to apply it because what he wrote is true. But he writes in Romans 12, he says, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and appropriate or proper worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect and pleasing will. You see, Paul is inviting us to live a life where God is with us all the time. There's never a time when God is not with us. That's what he's trying to get us to understand. And he's inviting us to live a life of worship and sacrifice, of consecration where we set ourselves apart, where we set ourselves apart to be true and holy and pure in the sight of God so that God can work through us to do all these things, all of these amazing things that he set in place for us to do. But conveniently, we've categorized these things. And we've compartmentalized these things so that we can check off the box and say, I did that this week. You've come to worship service this week. Respectfully, you can't come to worship service this week. Your life is supposed to be your worship. All of it. I gave this week. And yet God asks us to give all the time. Folks, I'm just encouraging you to think about your life and where God fits in on a day-to-day basis. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and they'll follow after deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Everything. Everything that God created is good. Everything that we do should be consecrated by the word of God in prayer. So that you and I can be set apart and pure and holy in all that we do. And then the world will be radically different because then we make a pleasing sacrifice and acceptable consecration and we begin by acknowledging that God is the true center of our lives and our love for him will determine what we are willing to lay at his feet and worship and worship happens all the time and what are you willing to lay at the feet of Jesus what are you willing to give to him it's not just your money it's everything it's everything It's not an easy concept for us to consider ourselves to be servants and slaves to God. The Bible clearly teaches that we are either servants and slaves to the world or to God. And yet, Satan has tried to get us to believe that we can do both. And we can come to church and we can go to worship. And we can pair tithe, and we can sing. It used to be two songs and a prayer and a song and a sermon. It ain't happening right now around here, but that's okay. Satan is the author inventor of putting things in a box. God is not. God created a world that is good and perfect. And he created a universe that, believe it or not, is still expanding. It had not stopped yet, and it's still going on. And I don't know if that's just because our little microscopes and our telescopes are just now catching up with it, or if that thing is really, truly still expanding. I don't know the difference, and I don't have to know the difference, but I know that God is greater, and he wants us to be greater. But the only way we can really be greater is when we become consecrated in Him. And we become pure and holy because of Him in our lives. And that mindset will cause us to do amazing things in the kingdom of God. Brandon is going to come and lead us in the song that's a very old song. I mean, it is, Each Day I'll Do a Golden Deed. By helping those who are in need. A beautiful life. This song's older than anybody in the room. A few of us combined. But but see, here's the rub with this song, man. How can you sing these words if you're not consecrated in God? Don't stand up and sing the words to this song. Each day I'll do a golden deed. If you ain't doing golden deeds, you might sing a solo. Unless you're not doing golden deeds. Maybe we should do golden deeds. Do you get where I'm coming from, guys? So as we sing this song, I invite you to look deep inside of yourself and ask yourself, is God really have it all? And is He truly... Consecrating me and setting me apart to do great things in his church and in his kingdom. And if he is, by all means, please stand and let's sing this song.